to watch videos like that knowing that I would actually struggle to find myself in that situation and wonder how I would respond. That's dedication. You know, we have talked and we have encouraged each of you this year, if you have never read the scriptures all the way through, they say right now that there is one full Bible in North Korea for every 2,000 Christians. One Bible to share. In North Korea right now, if you are found with a Bible, the little boy was not, it was not a rare situation, but the person who was actually found with the Bible can be executed. And then the rest of the family sent away. This lady, Christian lady, sister in Christ, would have actually faced, going over into China, would have faced forced prostitution for the sake of going over there just to be able to find some food for her family or to be able to have obtained the Bible that she had. And I think that it says volumes for us as a church. The very least... that we should be able to do is pray for them and pray for our brothers and sisters. I don't know what that would be like, but one day we may find out. And how you live for Christ now will be a telling tale on how you will. on how you will suffer for Christ or how you will die for him. May he find us faithful. I encourage you to take your Bibles and if I could have a couple of our men to help this morning, we'd like to have every family to have one of these. And uh, would you like to help us this morning? You would like to help with the young people? No? I'd like the young people to have one of these here. They want to help. Yeah, come on up here, buddy. Get all the, uh, have all the young people have one of those, okay? There we go. And while they are passing that out, I would encourage you, if you are able to stand with us for the reading of God's Word, we will read Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Matthew 5. One through four. Seeing the crowds. He, Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. May the Lord add his richest blessings to the reading of his word this morning. Thank you. you may be seated. This is 
our third message last week, of course, I intended to uh, put the sermon on sermon audio, even though many of you were not here, and then people just started showing up. And uh, we are actually thankful uh, for the handful of people who came uh, last week, despite the storm. And uh, But here we are. We are back uh, for the third part of the second beatitude. Um, I forgot to have uh, uh, Sterling change that in the bulletin, but this is actually part three. We're on the same handout sheet, though. And as always, if you have questions about what we cover in the material, um, I want you to feel free to call me. I actually do get a couple of calls each week um, from people asking questions, wanting to know what does this mean or what does this Bible passage mean? And I want you to feel that you can do that at any time as well. Um, I also accept texts or emails. Um, I'm not so good at smoke signals, but you could try. We'll try to get somebody to translate those as well. Mourning. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Mourning can certainly be helpful, but to remain in expanded grief is not. In Ecclesiastes, there was actually a natural progression. King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, speaks firstly of a time to weep and then a time to laugh. He says there is a time to mourn and then there is a time to dance. And this is even true when we are called to mourn, especially as we looked at over our own sin. But... It is to end when we experience and we realize the joy of forgiveness. You see, the real reason why you and I are here this morning should be because we came to worship, not for the worship, but we came to worship. There is a difference. You see, if you came for the worship, then maybe you might have been disappointed in the music or you might be disappointed in the message or you might be disappointed in the fact that there's only 17 versions of chili instead of 18 at the lunch afterwards. But when we realize the joy of forgiveness that comes, we come to worship because we are a forgiven people. If we had not been forgiven of our sins, I don't think that you and I would be able to stand being in each other's company for very long. If people were to actually see the real us, the, the part that God knew before he set his love upon us and redeemed us, what a difference it would make if, if, if we were to have up on the screens here and, and we were to broadcast the life of Mark Escalera, I, I wouldn't want anybody here to see it. And I'm sure you wouldn't want anybody to see your life either. But yet the God who knows you intimately, who knows every single second of your life from start to finish, from conception to death, from before time began, set his love upon you, forgave you. That is just Beyond compare, there, there is nothing, there is no gift that you can be given in this entire world that is anything like that. 
Listen to Psalm 30. The psalmist writes in verse 11, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. Uh, Brother Scott was right this morning. When, when we're singing, whether we're off key or whether we're all on key, whatever it may be, the Bible says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Why? Because Psalm 107 says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now, can you imagine, uh, if you were to go back, for those of you who are historians, or you like reading history, and, and those who were captured during war, and, 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 and I can remember here recently, I watched a documentary on Vietnam, and, and I remember some of the, 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 the POWs who were brought back, and the joy that was on their faces in the family after all the hardships that they had endured, all the things, and they got off of that bird here in America. And their families just ran up with great joy to be able to see them. Mourning had changed into gladness. Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. That should be enough to rejoice this morning. And in fact, if, if you and I were not forgiven and we had a question about, well, which sin is forgiven? Was that little lie forgiven? Was that whatever it may be, fill in the blank, was that forgiven? The Bible says, for the person who is forgiven, as far as the east is from the west, he removes our transgressions from us. And what that means is this, that he will never hold it against you again if you are a true believer. You will never have to give account for that sin. To know that we are that forgiven. Listen to Joel chapter 2. Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Lord willing, next Sunday night on the 28th of January, we will be honoring the Lord Jesus Christ by celebrating once again the Lord's table. This is a privilege for the believer to be able to partake in something that he came and gave up everything in heaven to come down to this earth so that you and I might have eternal life. And by us partaking of communion, every time we lift the bread and every time we lift the cup, we are saying to those around us that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. What a joy that we have to be able to do that. There is great comfort in the blessed life of, of those who mourn and yet are in Christ Jesus. But there is a second part of this. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is, right, is, is speaking this Sermon on the Mount, and, and he is not addressing a way to be able to get to heaven, but he is speaking in this passage, and he is dealing both with the sin of the individual as well as how to deal with the sins of others. I've shared my testimony with several of you before in the past, and it was not until I was in my second year of Bible college studying for ministry that I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I had said the prayer. I had lived the life. I was a prayer captain. I was in the missions team. I did everything that I was supposed to. I was missionary's kid. But it wasn't until my second year of Bible college that I realized that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I was a sinner. 
See, that's the big problem. A lot of people think in, in Christianity today and evangelicalism that, that they want this ticket out of here just in case, just to be able to cover all their bases. I, I can remember my dad's only full brother and, and, and Uncle Gene and him telling me multiple times he used to follow Buddhism and, and he's read the Quran and, and he's read the Hindu writings and the Bible. And I remember him telling me on multiple occasions he just wants to make sure he covers all his bases. And sometimes I think that's what evangelicals do. By, by simply saying this little prayer, they hear this little prayer, they read it on the back of a track, and they say, well, I'll say this little prayer, and therefore, just in case things go pear-shaped, when I stand before God, I'll be able to say one day, hey, I said this little prayer, you have to let me into heaven. And you know what's sad? Is that the Lord Jesus Christ, in his second longest sermon in the Scriptures, tells us this, he is going to say to those people, depart from me, for I never knew you. So what do we do about not just our own sin? We've already dealt with that in two messages now, and, and how we are to be comforted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Dad mentioned it in the, in the Sunday school lesson this morning. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. And while this is not found, you can search high and low. You can pull out your concordance and look. That actual phrase is not seen in the scripture. It's a non-biblical cliche, but I think that there's some truth to that as long as we can provide the context. It is clear that God hates the sin, but the Bible is also clear, John chapter 3 and verse 36 that he also hates the sinner. His wrath remains on the sinner until they come to faith in Jesus Christ. This is why there is joy in the presence of the angels over every sinner who repents. Now you can argue with me later if you want to, but I don't believe that it is the angels that are rejoicing. The angels don't know what it means to be saved. I believe that every person that comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there, is present, that there is joy and rejoicing in their presence. It is that great cloud of witnesses who has gone before us. There are some who have prayed for 20, 30, 40, 50 years for a family member or a friend or a loved one to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We mentioned this a couple of Sundays ago. George Mueller, for example, prayed for two people in particular, one of them his own brother, and his brother came to faith at his funeral. I believe there was rejoicing in the presence of the angels, and I believe George knew. But there is also not just to be hate for the sin, but there is also to be love, to be grace for the sinner. And I believe that this is found in a biblical church by the practice of church discipline. How do we love, though, while hating the sin? And there may be some here, and you may be concerned about what you're going to hear this morning. I challenge you to take the information, look at the scriptures, to search them, be a Berean Christian, to see if the things that we are sharing with you are biblical or not. Listen to what one person said. We hate sin, one commentary noted, we hate sin by recognizing it for what it is refusing to take part and condemning as contrary to God's nature. Sin is to be hated, not excused or taken lightly. We love sinners by showing them respect, praying for them, and witnessing to them. It is a true act of love to treat someone with respect and kindness, even though you do not approve of their lifestyle or sinful choices. 
It is not loving to allow a person, this commentary continues, to remain stuck in their sin. It is not hateful to tell a person that they are in sin. In fact, the exact opposite is true. Sin leads to death. And we love the sinner by speaking the truth in love. We hate the sin by refusing to condone, ignore, or excuse it. End of quote. So when Jesus is speaking here and he's sitting on this hillside, this mountain outside of the village of Chorazin, he is telling them, don't mourn just for your own sins, but mourn for the sins of others. We find that Jesus Christ himself wept over the spiritual state of Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 23. And I believe that it is because we do not mourn over sin that the church is in such a dismal state today. Sadly, many churches no longer practice church discipline. We are not comforted when restoration takes place because there's little mourning over our sin. And instead of following the commands of Scripture regarding discipline, we embrace, quote, friends as though they have done no wrong. If you really want to see a person's loyalty, I want to encourage you this morning, because here's the question. Would you agree that we are a Bible-preaching church? The question then is, do you believe that we are a Bible-practicing church? If we are not both a Bible-preaching and a Bible-practicing church, I'm wasting my time and you're wasting yours. But here's what's important. If you want to see a person's true loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ, speak to them of restoration and confession of sin. And you'll probably not ever see them again. For they don't want to hear the truth. And you know, it's, it's difficult when, when we look around and there are people that we each know. Uh, for most of you here already know the situation with one of our own children. And next Sunday night, one of the things that we're going to have to address and we're going to have to handle in regards to my own daughter is church discipline. Why? Because I would rather be right with God than to allow the sin to continue unchecked. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 13 says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now listen, this, this, this is not about us filling up Yellowstone Baptist Church Auditorium. This isn't about everybody in Cheyenne coming here because everybody in Cheyenne's not going to come here. We understand that. But too often, when, when, when we are speaking of discipline and we're talking about mourning for the sins of others, it's almost like it's an unspoken rule. Well, the pastor can mourn, but the rest of us are just going to be friends. Sin overlooked is not differing opinions between unrepentant members and the pastor. It's a difference of holiness between God and the one who claims to be a believer. I have to ask you a question this morning. 
Is the sin that you see in other people's lives, does it bring you to tears? Does your sin bring you to tears? Does the things that you see in your life, this is that we don't share these things because we are super pious or because we're super religious or, or because we think that we're better than anybody else or maybe who has ever come or whoever will come. We share these things because God desires one thing, and that is to have a bride who has made herself ready. Listen to what Nehemiah said in chapter 1. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house of sin, we have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules. I, I want to make something very clear, and I want to try to be as gracious as possible in saying this. It is not the requirement of everybody in the church who is a member to know every single detail of every single sin that has been committed. There are things my own daughter has done that you're never going to know. But I know that God is a gracious God. And I know that my God can bring restoration. I told you a month ago that I'm not going to have a, one set of rules for me and the pastor's family and another set of rules for you as a congregation. I do not want anybody to live their life afraid of the church. God gave the church for a reason. He died for his bride. And, and when we get together as brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, the reason that we do these things is because I love you and because you love one another and because there's compassion. And if I see something in your life that doesn't reflect Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you about it. Just like I want you to tell me if you see things. And I know it's not easy. And I know some of the things that you have seen in your life and the things that you have done. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, there would be none of us sitting here this morning. Throughout the Bible, we find not just times of prayer, but mourning and compassion for, for those who have gone astray. I, I've been going through in my, in my Bible time, I've been reading and listening, and I'm in Second Chronicles right now. Oh, man, the people of Israel and the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, man, what a sorry bunch of people. I mean, God gave them everything, and every time they turned around, they were rebellious. I remember, I can't remember which one it was this morning. I think it was Amaziah, and he prays, and, and God miraculously delivers him from one of their enemies, and, and then he turns around, and he goes back home to Jerusalem, and he gives thanks by offering a sacrifice to the idols. And the prophet comes, and he stands before King Amaziah, and he says, O oh, king, listen to me. God gave you a great victory. And you turned around and you basically threw it back in his face. 
You prayed to the gods of those who cannot hear. And he says, because of this, I will take your kingdom away from you. He says, every one of your children will struggle with leprosy. And it says, I believe it was King Amaziah. And the Bible says that he got so sick that his guts actually came out of his body. You see, if you and I don't take sin seriously, how can we expect the world to hear the good news like, like we see taking place in North Korea? They're willing to take the things and they're willing to go to prison and they're willing to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not willing to even pick up our Bibles on a daily basis. We are in trouble for what is going on in our country. We don't take a stand against sin. We, we laugh at what the world offers. We, we make statements like, well, what a person does in the privacy of their own home is up to them. My friends, listen to me. If God calls it sin, it's sin whether anybody sees you do it or not. When somebody sins, when somebody leaves, when, when somebody disobeys the commands of Scripture to be reconciled or to seek forgiveness for the sins that they have committed and they don't do it, they're not just sinning against me, they're sinning against you as an entire body of believers. So when we mourn as God would have us to mourn, we can be comforted. But why do you think Paul wrote so much? Particularly, he wrote two entire books, first and second Corinthians, and there's a possibility there was a third book as well that dealt with the matter of church discipline within the church. And the first one is because the church wasn't doing anything about the sin. And the second one was because they refused as a church to forgive and extend repentance to the repentant brother. My friends, if we, we talk about church discipline, and I, I, I've passed out a, or had a, a, a little paper passed out there for you, and I want you to take the time to read that when you go home. But there's a reason why we do the things that we do. There's a reason why God calls us to have a church that is pure. To be able to do that does not mean that we are not friendly to unbelievers. It does not mean that we are not friendly and kind and gracious maybe to, to those who have chosen to walk a different path than us, even though they may be a true believer. I think, though, that it is important for us to remember that to do that, we have to do it God's way. My dad was sharing this morning in the Sunday school hour. He said one of the things that that it's interesting that, that people often pray and they pray things and they ask amiss, they ask wrongly. And let me share this with you because several of you were not here in the Sunday school hour, but I want to say it for the record. God will never tell you or me to do something that is contrary to his word. Ever. If it's in his word, we will seek to obey it. And if it is not there, then there are a lot of times that it is a matter of preference. So how does this work practically? Let's make an application here. I would hope, as some of you have done, some of you have seen my daughter, 
You've seen her at her work. You've seen her at a restaurant. My wife and I and our family, we do not wish ill on anybody. The Bible is very clear on that, that we cannot wish judgment on somebody. But the way that we handle this is not by inviting her over to our house or inviting somebody over to our house that is living in open sin and rebellion against the church of God and pretending like they have done nothing wrong. If some of you have that kind of a relationship with her, I invite you. I want you to have her over. I want you to talk to her. But listen to me. When you invite her over, and if you're a believer, and you believe that she knows the Lord Jesus Christ, even though she's living in open rebellion and sin against God right now, you have a responsibility, not just Violet and I as a parents, not just me as her pastor, but you as members, you all agree to that commitment when you come and become members here and you say, we will practice discipline. We will hold people accountable. And you need to sit down with her and you need to tell her in love, we want to tell you this, come back to Jesus. To do anything other than that, you also are in sin. Until you have gone through this in your own life, and some of you have. You will never know what it is like to have to tell your child that they are not welcome to come into your house and live any way they want. And the same is true for anybody who has been a member or is a believer here in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't live any way we want. Not only do we mourn for a person's sin, not only do we mourn for our own, but we should mourn for their afflictions. You know, Paul made it very clear that some of the people in the church at Corinth, some of them were sick. Some of them had actually died in the congregation and, and they were having all kinds of health issues within the church because they were coming to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. There are some of you who have asked me and some of you ask me very regularly, well, should I partake of the Lord's table? The Bible says that we come, we seek forgiveness from God, we seek forgiveness from one another for our sins, and then we partake with rejoicing at what He has done for us. If you and I were only ever to partake of the Lord's table when we were worthy, we would never partake again. But we partake because it is a testimony and a sign to the others around us that we have been loved with an eternal love and that we are forgiven. And here's the other thing. If my daughter ever comes back, just as our oldest son came back a couple of years ago now, and he has established a relationship with us again, my son was in the same situ situation. I wasn't going to endorse my son's sin. But I can tell you that there is forgiveness. And now because of that forgiveness, and because there has been repentance, and because there has been a turning back to God on his part, and the fellowship has been restored, now together we can worship the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now together, we can stand in such a manner that our relationship with God and with one another is right. And now that fellowship has been restored. And because that fellowship has been restored, I don't keep bringing up to him his past sin. You see, this is the problem in many evangelical churches. We have no problem saying, oh, I forgive you, or it's not a big deal, or let's just overlook that, or, or just forget about it. It's not a big deal. It was a big enough deal for Jesus to have to die on the cross for that sin. It is a big deal. And so when we extend forgiveness to somebody, we say, I am not bringing that back up again. I am not throwing it in your face. If we have made things right between us, and between God. But sometimes these afflictions that take place, every one of you here, you're, you're just about all old enough that you've all experienced some kind of a loss, some kind of an affliction, because of sin that is in the world. We, we all struggle with, with pains and aches, and as we get older, it's not going to get any easier. Listen to Job chapter 16. With friends like these, who needs enemies? I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all, Job said. How then will you comfort me? He continues in Job 21. How then will you comfort me with empty nothings? There is nothing left of your answers but falsehood. My dad down through the years, has reminded me of something quite often, and he still has to remind me, even though we're both 39. And he says, three-fifths of think, the word think is ink. If you remember to write it down, you won't forget it. And there are times when I get a phone call or I get a message left on the church and somebody will say, hey, please pray for me. This is the situation. You know what? I have to write that down so I don't forget. I know that there are people in this congregation who are praying for every single one of you by name every single day of the week. That's something the world doesn't offer. But in our afflictions, we don't mourn like the world does. We don't grieve when trials or death comes our way as the world does. Listen to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have any hope. And he ends that passage by saying, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. I don't know what this week's going to bring. Here we are at the start of a new week. At the end of this next week, we may be visiting some of you in the funeral home. We may be having some kind of a service. But the one thing that we want to be able to do is to be able to say, we presented the gospel to them. We presented them to Jesus Christ. We can't pray or preach anybody into heaven. We can't pray or preach anybody into hell. But we do have a responsibility to tell you the truth, to tell you what God's word is. And the fact is this, there is a hope, but the hope is for those who know Jesus Christ. Not just know about him. 
The word know in the scriptures there is to know, to have a direct relationship. So here's the question. Does the relationship that you say you have with God, does it change? Has it changed you? Has it changed me? Do, do I still practice the same sins? Do I not care? Does the Holy Spirit, who I say live within me, does he convict me of the sin when I can commit some kind of a sin? These are the questions you need to ask yourself. If there's no conviction of sin, if the Holy Spirit does not tell you you have violated the commands of God and he is not bringing you to repentance, the Bible is clear that you are not a believer. But the Bible also gives this hope that today is the day of salvation. Today you can knock on the door. Today you can look to the cross. Today you can come, as John said, he concluded the entire Bible in Revelation 22, and he said this, whosoever will may come and drink of the water of life freely. Some of you may not have ever had a drink. You don't know what it's like. You struggle, it could be financially, it could be something in work, it could be physically, it could be something that, that, that mentally, or who knows what it is that's going on in your life, but Jesus does. We are to have compassion on them. We don't hate those who are in sin. We seek to love them and to tell them the truth, to, 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 to point them to Jesus, telling them again and again and again, do you understand that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners? Do you understand that when he came into the world to save sinners, he came to redeem you from out of your sin, not for you to remain in it? Have compassion. Jude verse 22 says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Love the world. Love even your enemies. There are others who have said, well, I remember I was listening to an illustration and somebody said about their marriage, they said, well, I don't love my wife. Well, then you're to love your friends. Well, I don't even have her as a friend. Well, the Bible says love her as an enemy. And there are times that we need to have that understanding within our heart that we, you and I, if you're a believer here this morning, you at one time were an enemy of Jesus Christ. And yet he still loved you. Do you remember John eleven thirty five, 35, the account of Lazarus? We find the shortest verse in the English language, Jesus wept, wept. We're not told why he wept. The Bible here shows the compassion of the Savior for those who mourn. Are you mourning this morning? Is there something in your life that brings you grief? Is there an area where you're struggling to find joy in your life? Maybe your, your whole life, you may feel like your whole life's falling apart. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And this is where we find the blessing of those who are comforted.
Listen in these last few moments. The mourner's blessing, one who is blessed. The word simply means one who is well off or fortunate. And if you mourn for your sin or for the sin of others or for their well-being, you are blessed. As I have shared with you, I don't want you to, to see somebody who is left, whether it's my daughter or anybody else, and, and be unkind or be ungracious. But what I want you to do is I want you to call them to repentance. Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Brothers and sisters, you, you and I are blessed beyond anybody else in the entire world. And this isn't because of the name that we've got on our sign. It's because our faith is in Jesus Christ alone. The mourners comfort, they shall be comforted. Again, you've got in your notes there, there's eight different Hebrew words. I encourage you, especially if you're in the class, we've, we've shown you how to be able to, to do a topical word study. But there are eight different Hebrew words and nine different Greek words that define the word comfort alone. To smile, to gleam, to be cheerful, to burst forth as the sun in the dawn of a new day. I like that one. If I want to be comforted or I need to be comforted, maybe you can do that. Write that down and come up to me and say, are you bursting forth as the sun in the dawn of a new day today? No, we say be comforted. Job 9, 27, if I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and I will be of good cheer. Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 104, 15, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. Be encouraged. Be of a good spirit. Philippians 2.19, Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. The, the entire world is not doom and gloom, especially for the believers, because we've got eternity to look forward to. What a great rejoicing that will be. The master's comfort. Certainly a versatile word. We don't have time this morning, but we, we could look at John chapter 14, where Jesus speaks about another comforter or a helper who would come alongside you, a parakletos. And this word here simply is... The same word that we get our word comfort from. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort you. Romans 8, 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Some of you have struggled that deeply. Some of you know what it's like to wet your pillow with your tears. Some of you know what it's like to just sob as though your heart would break and you don't know what tomorrow will bring much less the next hour. And yet the Bible says that we are comforted by the Holy Spirit. 
1 Thessalonians 3, 7. Paul says, For this reason, brothers, in all your distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Again, I don't know what's going on in your life, but if your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not only will you have comfort from others, but you will also be able to comfort others. You know, this is one of the reasons why at the very beginning we dealt with a little bit of church discipline because when, when, when somebody comes back to faith or they come and they act in a way that is finally acting a reminiscent of a believer, what we're actually saying to them is we recognize and because Jesus Christ has forgiven you, we are comforting you. We are rejoicing with you. And finally, the mourner's future. We touched on this briefly before, but there is a right purpose for mourning. Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Here's the right perspective. Revelation 21 verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning. There will be no crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Why would you and I want to hang on to this life? The ability to mourn over sin can only come from the Holy Spirit. But for those who grieve, there is comfort to be found in Jesus Christ alone. To mourn over others gives us the ability to be able to rejoice when God does a work in either making them a new creation or by bringing biblical restoration. And remember this, restoration is not the overlooking of sin or rebellion. It's calling it what God calls it. It's seeking to bring an erring brother or sister back to Christ and to his church. Now I want to conclude with this quote from John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. When a person becomes a Christian, it is no longer a priority to listen to the world. It is no longer a priority to care what the world may think. Everything changes. The world looks completely different. All of the temporal pleasures of this world become less enjoyable because a greater joy has been found. And thus, you place your fingers in your ears for you no longer care about the world's opinion and you run like a lunatic crying, Life! Life! Eternal life. Let's pray. Father, when you placed upon my heart to study, again, studying the Sermon on the Mount, I never could have imagined the emotions that this would bring. And yet, Lord, your word is consistent. 
the word reminds us that we can be comforted. Help us to mourn over our own sin. We cannot look at the lives of others if we have sin that is unrepentant in our own life and we are unwilling to change. Lord, we have prayed for revival. We long and desire for revival within evangelical Christianity. And I believe that we are seeing revival in the hearts of some here at Yellowstone. Continue to do a change. Continue to bring repentance. Continue to bring people to salvation and, and people to be, be a part of this assembly of gathered believers to rejoice in what you are doing, to rejoice together. When we see those who are still remaining in open sin and rebellion, Lord, help us to deal with them as you deal with them, to still be loving and gracious, but to remember that we have a responsibility to call them to repentance. It's not just my job or the elders or Sunday school teachers or the music team. It's every believer. Thank you, Lord, for the words of John Bunyan that we closed with. And may we put our ear, fingers in our ears and refuse to listen to the opinions of the world, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And stick our fingers, as it were, in our ears, running to eternity, crying, life, life eternal life. And we go from here today having been encouraged by your word and if there are areas in our life that need to be changed, that as Nehemiah prayed, that you would also forgive us. Bring true repentance to each and every heart today. We ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Just to remind you, this has all of our announcements in it, but we do just want to bring up a few things for you again, um, and a special prayer request for Brother Jeff. Um, he's got a brand new job. Uh, he said he walked 10 miles, was it? On Friday alone, he walked 10 miles for his job. And uh, so he's, uh, he's like me, he's getting old to, to do that kind of walking, but pray that God will give him strength, but also that he'll give him a schedule that he can be here with us again. And uh, we miss Brother Jeff, Brother Tim, same thing. And uh, I know it's been quite a while, but I pray that uh, God would make that possible. He can change the hearts of those who set the schedules. And um, again, pray for our church family. Uh, this evening, we have our doctrinal class, and for those of you who can't smell this morning, there is food downstairs. There is a lot of food, and we want to invite you to join us downstairs for a time of fellowship. Even if you didn't bring anything, I'm sure there is more than enough food. There always is. And uh, again, if you have any questions about anything that you have heard this morning, we invite you to come and talk with us as well if you desire to actually stand up here with us and and be welcomed into fellowship um, or, for, or through baptism uh, or by statement of faith, then we welcome you to come and talk with us as well. Have we forgotten anything today? Yes. We're not on, are we?